Hello and welcome to the Hub Systems Podcast, the voice of man's model moments, the blog of the various ramblings on the modelling and gaming antics of my son and I. My name is Alex Mann. Unfortunately, my son Oscar is not with me today. This episode was actually recorded before Christmas, but unfortunately a lot of editing, a busy Christmas and then a busy start at work in a new year, has meant that it's been delayed until today. So apologies for that. I hope you enjoy the episode and that it was worth the wait, and we'll see you back in the regular circuit uh, for the rest of January. Thanks very much, and enjoy the show. In this episode, we'll be looking at the metagame in Firestorm Armada, with a view this time from North America. That means I've reached out to some brothers-in-arms from across the surface of our little planet, and I'd like to welcome them to the show. So can I welcome Phil Johnson, also known as the host of Firebase Delta. Hello, everybody. Josh Linder from the US, also recognisable as the controller of the Waygate. Hello, hello. And last but not least, Nathan Pullen from Jaded Gamercast. Howdy. So I'd like to welcome you all to the Hub Systems. And straight off the bat, I want to ask you the most burning question of all. Have you all seen Star Wars? Oh, yeah. Maybe. Once. The first showing available in my city, yes. <laughs> 3D. We saw, it, we saw it today. So now, no spoilers, but I just want to gauge your initial reactions to the film. So perhaps you could just give us overall verdicts on whether you think Abrams did a good job or not. I liked yes. it. That was good. Yeah, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Okay. I don't think it's as good as, good as Empire Strikes Back, but a uh, few things in this world are. <laughs> I agree. A, a fair statement, I think, yeah. Now, we enjoyed it a lot as well, so we will see it um, perhaps again uh, at the cinema and undoubtedly endlessly again on DVD. Okay, thank you. And if you could all give a brief introduction of yourselves, I'm sure you don't need introduction to, to a lot of people, uh, but there will be some people out there who need a bit of a refresher. So if you could give a bit of a, an introduction of what you've been up recently in uh, in your hobby life. Phil, perhaps you could start us off. Oh, okay. If everybody doesn't know, I run currently a limboed podcast called Firebase Delta. What I mean by that is we're in transition. So uh, with that, I also have Josh as one of my co-pilots. So I've been uh, podcasting on and off again for about five plus years. So other than that, my hobbies include a lot of Spartan. I may have dabbled into some Star Wars X-Wing Armada, but you know. I think we all have. With that, uh, I'm trying to... I Actually, my recent purchase was uh, the Halo... Uh, covenant assault carrier group the big girls i call her oh yes beautiful model and that's my project for uh the christmas season right now nice okay thanks for that josh pretty simple perhaps you can complete our u.s contingent uh yeah uh, i'm josh lindy uh i run the waygate blog and also contributor on firebase delta podcast i'm part of the michigan crew uh i run all the spartan game stuff at adepticon Currently, uh, I also dabble in uh, War Machine and Hordes and Infinity, which that's what I've been working on hobby-wise lately, is cool. assembling a crap ton of Infinity figures for the rather explosive uh, growth we've had in the local community. Nice. And then uh, getting my Rothosa completely painted, that's been a task. <laughs> <laughs> it always is, isn't it? The, the painting pile is always something to be described in uh, in terms of tens or dozens or even hundreds of minutes. Indeed. <laughs> so, Nathan, perhaps you could bring us back closer to the Commonwealth from, from Canada then. Yes, absolutely. You know, I was looking forward to your son being on, because at least that way, you know, us loyal subjects of the of the monarchy would outnumber the heathens, but... <laughs> Alas, it's a... Man, it's such a long time ago in a galaxy far away. I just don't understand. (laughs) Right? Um, uh, So, uh, my name is Nathan. I am one half of Jada GamerCast. We are a weekly podcast, uh, and the name should tell you everything that we will talk about. (laughs) Um, 
we, we complain a lot. What can I say? Um, in terms of things that I've been working on recently, I have kind of been just going full bore on my first War Machine army, which is technically a Horde's army, but non-players don't get the difference. So okay. I'll call it like that. <laughs> <laughs> if you are unfamiliar with War Machine hordes, you'd just be like, I play hordes. What's that? Uh, War Machine. Oh, okay. <sighs> sure. Yeah, no one really says the hordes thing anymore. It's a sign right? of hordes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the hordes is silent. <laughs> okay. So for myself, I've uh, I've not been doing a lot. It's been my last week at work, which is great. So that's kind of occupied most of my time. And uh, other than looking forward to Star Wars and managing to keep out all the spoilers and any any of that stuff, that's that's pretty much been me. I've been keeping my head down really. Oscar's been mostly not to be seen because he's got Fallout Four, so uh, he's desperately trying to catch up to me, but he'll never do it. Um, okay, so if we go on to our, our newest feature, uh, which is hit or miss, uh, which is just to remind our co-hosts, this is where we look at various releases over the last week or so. And then after having a look, we decide whether we think it's a good release, a hit, or not, a miss. So, obviously, with the week before Christmas, the crop's been a little bit thin. Or It's almost the week before Christmas. I did have a little look on the 40k side of things, because we didn't look at that too closely in the past. And there is a model we've not covered previously in the new releases section there. And that's the Imperial Knight Warden and Fireblade Transfer Sheet. For the princely sum of £107 of Her Majesty's currency, uh, which is 177 US dollars and 212 Canadian. You mentioned the uh, the currency tanking, Nathan. I, I have to oh, agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> y- you can also just buy the transfer sheet for 12 pounds, 20 US, 24 Canadian, and as a Night Warden itself is 95 pounds. That basically means they're giving you no discount at all for buying them together. So good for those of you who already have it and want to just get the the sheet. For those of you just buying one, hey, whatever. So for those of you who don't know, Freeblade is a free-to-play app where you pilot a Night Warden around chewing through baddies, and it gives you the opportunity to dress up your little uh, Night Warden. Um, this transfer sheet rather gives you the opportunity to dressage your plastic Night Warden like the one from the game. So who'd like to start us off on this one? I don't know whether any of you still play 40k. What do you think of the release? Oh, well, nice. just... Go ahead. Speaking of like, well, it's like I work at a shop. My I have like almost a zero 40k community. I know I stopped playing 40k probably about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I do actually have one of my few few players that does still do 40k though is an actual knight army um, guy, and he they all are, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> it would seem it's either Eldar or knights. I... <laughs> but uh, seen Eldar the with knights. Itself... <laughs> Oof. Oof. That's rough. But uh, the kit's really nice. I mean, I've seen it, the, the transfer sheet, you know. That's the one thing, like, as much as I've, I've bitched about, like, GW and 40K in general, I can't ever dispute, like, how nice the kits are and how nice the models are. Yeah, um, yeah some of the some of the Age of Sigmar stuff is a little... little Fruity. Fetishy. <laughs> Fruity, that's a nice word. <laughs> I don't but, know what uh, your rating is there on the... Uh... On the rating yeah. charts podcast. So we'll, keep it fruity. It's oh, fruity. I am present. It is a mature audience only kind of podcast. I mean, Lang and I, when we started Jada Gamer Cast, we had the discussion is it going to be, you know, are we going to try to be PG or mature? And we said, let's just talk and we'll see what happens. And like five minutes in, we dropped our first F bomb and we're like, all right, this is where we're at. <laughs> 
I think our audiences in the UK we have a rating called 12A, which means basically it's not suitable for children under 12. But if irresponsible parents want to do that, they can. Uh, which is what Star Wars is actually, I think. And of course, I'm yeah. irresponsible, so you know, I took my nine year old daughter. I think we got it yeah. in the states. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, I mean, for me, I've no doubt the kit will be marvellous in terms of its, you know, production quality. And I kind of get that if you play Free Blade, it might be nice if you're playing 40k as well, which I guess is the target market. You know, it could be quite a cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of the knights just as a concept. I don't particularly like the way they look. I always think they look a bit like the Hunchback of Notre Dame because they kind of got, you know, that hunched over look with a big missile pack on the back. So I couldn't really call it either way, to be honest. Interesting. From my point of view, if I can just step in real quick, I like the concept of the Knights back when it was epic 40K. Again, that's another discussion onto itself. It's 25 years too late for me. When it comes to the models itself, really cool looking for what they've done and as improving you know the models as they evolve over the years. The transfer seats are cool. I've never done transfers in my whole line of modeling. I just don't do them. But you know, to each his own. I've stepped away from 40K. I do dabble by painting some Tyranid models, but that's just my winter slumber because I prep for the Adepticon event. Yeah. So other than that, it's cool. It's not my cup of tea. If I'll keep it on your side of the pond, you know, it's not my thing. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, uh, and I'll pass it to Nathan. Uh, you know, I, I was going to say, I've, I'm going to call it a miss only because if you actually go through the Games Workshop site, this is the fifth night release and the only difference between every one of them are just arm and back swaps like why why do they continue and and again like a deckel sheet great love it if that's what you're going for i think that that's a really nice sort of tip of the hat to people that are also playing the the free blade app but in terms of the model kit itself why oh why are we getting another just arm swap because like when you look at them the only differences between all five of the different knight types are three of them have back weapons. The heads are different. Mm-hmm. The arms are different. So why why are we touting this as a new release? Why are we saying, hey, look, everybody, we've released this other thing that should have just been in the main kit to begin with? Because, Absolutely. again, this is, this is Games Workshop. This is their MO, is having multi-kits. Um, and looking at the price points, I, I suspect that there are just two multi-kits in play here. Uh one being the the one with the back weapons, the other without. But still, it's just at this point, who cares? Like, I, and I think that's kind of where I'm at with the whole night thing. Right. Is when nights first came out, they were super cool, and I know that they sold uh, like hotcakes over here. And mm-hmm. I thought it was really impressive to see them painted up and and on the tabletop. But I mean, the last uh, tournament I went to when I was playing Firestorm Armada, 40k was at uh, the other corner, and without moving my feet from the firestorm tables i looked over and i was able to count 10 knights from 100 plus feet away the magic has worn off for me at this point like it's just i just don't care about them i mean that's really like the magic has gone uh if i may just give it's like a poor man's reaver not to saying it's a cheap model but uh you know again a lot of people can't buy reavers so we'll just buy these knights just to show you know well again that's almost like the evolution of hey i can't afford forge world unless i buy a knockoff but then again i like these titan you know this class titan of whatever well model or whatever name it comes with yeah the look of them though what i guess the one real thing that really kind of irritated me with the knights was a the prevalence and i just didn't like super heavy as a normal game as a 40k you know when i still played 
but the fact that the the Weren't new night design <laughs> oh yeah 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 and you'd think i'd love super heavies because i could drop 10 inch like distortion cannon pie plates but no i didn't but the uh like the new warlord titan looks completely different thanks to the night design like it's all night influenced and like i like the old blocky warlord titan design and they have the new like the new one looks it's still big and huge and imposing but it looks like like a hunchback like the like the night titans do yeah for me it's a little bit of um the, it's the Malibu Stacy thing, right? It's the, <laughs> but it's got a new hat. <laughs> I mean, conceptually, I think the decal sheet's quite a good idea. You know, it, it's inclusive. I mean, again, this comes back to I think you've, you know, one of your latest JD Gamercast, Nathan. It's about value, you know. And for me, dropping what a hundred and ten pounds basically on this, I'd have to really want it. And well, personally, I don't. Obviously, um, I can <laughs> Let's see people. Pretend. <laughs> I can see people actually going for it, but they've. I think if the people already, you know, the kind of people, the target audience. I think you you mentioned Phil. They probably already mm-hmm. got it. You know, these things sold a lot. And are you going to buy another one? Probably not. Maybe you're just going to buy the decal sheet, which is why it's twelve pounds. You know, that that's not too bad actually if you look in the world of decal sheets. But right. um, yeah, I think um, conceptually, the the bundle is probably a miss. The decal sheet is probably a hit. But that, that's, I think that's where I go with it. 50-50. Right, right. So all those parents listening at home with their kids spending quality time, go ahead and purchase one for your kid just in time for the holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> okay. Support your local store. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, thanks everybody for that. Um, let's move on now to our chosen subject for the week, which is the so-called metagame in a hobby and specifically for us in Firestorm Armada today. Now, to get us started here, I want to look at a few main thrusts to to sort of frame up our discussions, and those are around basically the use of SRS, short-range spacecraft, both generally and what sort of SRS people tend to take, and the use of both reserves and fold space escapes. And these are three topics that have really come up in the past, both in personal discussions, uh, in tournaments, on the forums. So I think those we can tackle those main three topics and then we can look a little bit into each of the factions and see if there's regional differences to how how they're played maybe a bit of an overview on the the two alliances as well we won't go too deep into that and then we can have a look and see who's right <laughs> so i guess to uh, to start off if we take srs okay. um i'll turn to to phil and josh to look at what the the american as in the United States of America, um, has in you know their various matters because you know you guys are from different places. Um, does it change? Is it is there a broad meta for SRS? Is there commonalities there? Josh, you want to take uh, it, and then I'll follow yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's a little bit of a commonality. Like in the Midwest, Michigan area, we initially played like really heavy on interceptors. So we were finding like torpedo weapon systems and uh, um, like bombers and stuff as not quite as effective um as like the meta progressed around here though people eased up on you know taking like full flights like like six wings of interceptors and started doing more of a like a split we're seeing a lot more you know more bombers especially with kind of people leaning towards taking more battle carriers out there available i know uh larry my uh (laughs) my Shoal Commander Larry, uh, he was also known as Tolarian on the forums, has been wrecking a lot of face using the Aquian Battle Carrier in our local group. And 
I know I've been getting some input from some guys uh, around the country. I know there's a group out in Phoenix um, that I guess has been modeling a lot of their uh, like fleet building and list building and game style after like last year's Adepticon event. So I'm actually looking forward to a big contingent of the guys from the Southwest coming because they've been kind of mirroring the meta up here in Michigan. And I kind of want to see like how that's going to, you know, the differences and uh, how it compares to with the guys playing for Michigan and like Ohio and the Chicago area that, you know, we've played with and in, in the past and, mm-hmm. and currently play with, but it's point defense mountain was a very big thing and it's kind of mellowed out around here. And I think it's just, you know, backlash, especially when we have uh, people using like the weapon systems on their ships a little more effectively, like dividing up torpedo volleys rather than just one big torpedo volley um, yeah. so that, you know, the, the mass of point defense is broken up a little more, you know, hitting softer targets being a little more selective and smart with their target selection because of, you know, the ships that have these huge SRS bubbles on them, you know, all of a sudden they're taking like a crap ton of direct fire. Um, yeah. So what about, yeah. um, what about fighters? Do you see fighters at all? Bastard. I we hardly see yeah. fighters. <laughs> fighters, I it, fighters haven't been a real big thing here in Michigan. Um, it's usually been bombers, interceptors, or assault shuttles. We love assault shuttles. I actually started using. I've started experimenting with my Relthosa carriers a little more, and I'm starting to see a little more utility in the fighters. But I think that's like a backlash from our interceptor support shuttle bomber. You know, we've we're using more. Uh, craft that were tasked, you know, they're they're uh, specialists at that particular task, you know, at attack, defense, mm-hmm. or boarding. So uh, I'm looking at the fighter as more of a util- utilitarian, or not utilitarian, but uh, more utility, you know, yeah. in terms of SRS because it has the ability to attack, intercept, and um, <clears throat> you know, it gives, especially on ships that have smaller SRS capacities. Uh, it's a little more utility to have. You know, they're more multi-role. Yeah, I, I would say that, um, just to kind of echo that mm-hmm. here, uh, fighters tend to be... So, for instance, Nidus frigates. Mm-hmm. You've got a squadron of four. Yeah, okay. Fighters are a nice um, middle way. You know, they give some offensive capability. You're not going to task them with taking out tier ones anyway. Mm-hmm. So, four fighters, you know, eight attack dice... <clears throat> It's enough to threaten smalls, you know, and it's a nice mobile strike force. Plus, they've got the PD. So, yeah, I would say we see the same with fighters. What about uh, what about uh, support shuttles? We uh, actually I twice, I think. <laughs> well, we I'd say like assault boats and then support shuttles. We actually have a lot of guys that use support shuttles. Um, I think that are they Terran? <laughs> On my side of the fence, as we'll call it, in the northeast Pennsylvania area, I was always from version one a fighter fan or a bomber fan where they were independent. On the second rule book, I kind of got a little bit away. Adepticon and hearing like how Jaded Gamercast uh, talk about how their meta goes and getting in touch with Josh, I've learned a lot of different metas. Myself, I was the one locally who only used the fighters. And I used fighters as in general. When it comes down to, I was normally a bomber guy or an interceptor guy. I very rarely, depending on what, force i used had fighters assault or uh the you know the shuttle the support shuttles in general i normally now with the game just field 
uh, the assault shuttles with my directorate trying to do the assault carrier or a bomber to where I try and do like with bombers. I try since we're limited on certain, you know, flight tokens. Uh, I try and do targeted strikes every now and then, followed by some, you know, cyber warfare and then an assault. Kind of like a one-two punch. Yeah. Uh, does it work out? Hopefully I improve my stats by Adepticon, but I, I can't really say, you know, with it. But my meta, I'm normally the guy who only does the fighters. Everybody else is ships on. And I've learned a lot from Adepticon with all the different types of gameplay. Like Nathan always stated, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, Nathan, that you guys are normally like the tier three style play. Is that correct? Well, I mean, it's not that we, it's not that we max out on it, but I don't think that there is anyone up here that mins their tier three. Right. You know, like nobody play, like the only time I've ever seen anyone do the two minimum size squadrons of tier threes, play the regroup tat card was Adepticon when I was playing against Michigan guys. First time I'd ever seen it in my life. Um, so I know that I favor heavy tier threes. Mm -hmm. I know our local Cerulean player does because let's be honest, Cerulean frigates are the best goddamn tier three in the game. So why the fuck would he not just max out (laughs) on them with pack hunters and just roll up and mug a tier one with your frigates. Uh, So um, yeah, it's not that, that we, we necessarily swear to it and we max out our tier three. It's just that we typically play with, you know, at least full-size squadrons. I don't think anyone As out here feel, feels anything other than a full-size. Right. Now, getting back to that, I used my bombers specifically for uh, with the firepower because I was normally like uh, a small tier one, uh, a, ma- a majority of tier two, and then, you know, rounding out the three, you know, tier three group. But with my fighter groups, like with my played Aquins or when I had uh Rymar Althosa when I first started but now with my directorate I kind of target the little guy with the bombers and try and play clean up with the little guy it's almost like a one-two punch almost like a dance when I get to the big guys where like Adepticon showed me like how many tier ones can I put in it's like holy crap I just went straight bombers but all the other styles I do not it all depends on who I face too I never keep more than one I probably have three or four lists before I go to a tournament and I check out the meta or what's there and then I swap appropriately see that's interesting i mean i'll I'll talk about the canadian side in just a second but uh, i think that that's interesting because i take almost an opposite approach i don't really care what the meta is going in for me Mm -hmm. i just try to know my fleet inside and out because if i know my pairings i know my weaknesses i know my strengths and i really just kind of play it i can kind of get by you know what i mean like it's with that being said it's not like i'm going into every event just being like i'm gonna win this it's just i'm gonna go i'm gonna play i've got my fleet that i know and whatever my opponent's doing i'm gonna try to make him play my game dance to my tune you know things of that nature but uh kind of going back to the srs up here where we play uh you know kind of the alberta because both calgary and edmonton we have a lot of cross-pollination so what happens when you live in the prairies and the nearest thing is like 500 kilometers away you drive a lot (laughs) But we uh, typically, like, what's funny is there, there there's kind of two things. What The SRS that people are taking depends on the capacity. If it's a one, two, or a three, they will always max out interceptors because, let's be honest, two bombers is worthless. Two interceptors, gold. You know? So when, when you have those really small amounts, um, you know, and my Tyrant Battleship is is perfect example. I love it. You know, wing capacity of three, just take three interceptors and and fucking love life all day long um otherwise when you have the bigger amounts everybody except for me takes bombers 
and only bombers. And I don't know why, because for me, I feel like there's so much more to that selection. Like my Relthosa, I take assault boats almost exclusively because the only thing better than throwing out a gigantic Relthosa dreadnought with escort boarding action is doing it after your SRS turned off their AP. Absolutely. <laughs> it's price. You, 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 know, you, you know what I mean? So it's just like, why the fuck would I targeted strike when I would much rather throw a second huge boarding assault at them, especially one in which they don't get to link their point defense into the dice, meaning those 12 or 10 or 8, depending on how successful they were at shooting it down, works. You know, like it's just holy shit, it's so much more effective when it's just my AP versus your AP and you're not linking that point defense pool in because you are sh- you already shot it on the way in. I With use the said, assault boats. I use the assault boats on my Rathelza a lot, too. It's just for that that thing, being able to assault every turn and take over ships is mm-hmm. pretty sweet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I... I took uh, my converted pathogen fleet out for a ride and ended up winning a tournament with it because people just, they are unused to being able to throw massive amounts of, of AP around. Um, And the most fun you will ever have is virus striking a battle carriers point defense off and then assaulting it with 20 AP. Yeah. I hate that card. I hate that card. Brian does it to me all the time. I forget about the card. Oh, and it's beautiful. I, I do say to WTF all the time. Um, but yeah, so like I said, yeah. that was very satisfying, was capturing a tier one that I hadn't uh, fired a shot at. But no, uh, for me, the other thing is, is, you know, what are you buying your SRS tokens on? I like fighters for the range. Like when I take my Terran defense platforms, they're stationary. They're zero inch move. Uh, so I either have to play attack card to buy the movement, or just say, fuck it, I'm going to camp here on this objective, and I'm going to have my fighters jump out, because with the, you know, 18-inch plus command range, like, I've got almost two feet of play to reach out and do an right. attack run on something. So it ends up adding a ton of versatility to a unit that is generally just there to claim objectives. So... Yeah. You know, like I said, for me, I feel like there is more to the discussion, but it seems like I'm generally the only person that that plays around with the options out here. Everyone is just all bombers all the time when it comes to full. Um, I know Lang doesn't really take SRS, period, because uh, he fucks around with all of his corporate works Raptor and mm, Omni. Yeah, okay. It's not like they they have carrier capacity, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's just one of those weird quirks out here because as soon as you you can shut down bombers, ugh, SRS are nothing to worry about. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting actually because we and I think I mentioned this um, way back when I came on the uh, uh, Firebase Delta um, podcast way back talking about Terrans is SRS here used to be really really bomber heavy. I mean you'd see. You know, double um, full flights of bombers in a lot of fleets. So the Reading tournament last year, 2014, had, for instance, a Terran list which ran two Ares carriers, um, both loaded up. You know, that's a, that's a lot of attack dice you can throw around. But you're right, if you shut them down, they got nothing. So we've kind of evolved from that. That the last tournament was actually a, there were surprisingly few SRS. And what they were, were much more varied. So we saw support shuttles, you know, repairing CP and repairing effects, and which could be really annoying, actually, <laughs> having had it, uh, had it, had one of my opponents do, do that. It's kind of, you just gotta 
oh, nice set of effects on the ship, and then these little shuttles come out and uh, and get rid of it all. So I think it's almost like people are getting used to actually experimenting a little bit, and now they're seeing the the possibilities that are there. People are using them, whereas before it was just like, oh my god, eighteen attack dice, I must have it. Sort of taking bombers, or like you were saying before about interceptors. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want any torpedoes, so I'll just go with six interceptors, and that's it. You know, that, that's me locked down. Yeah, I normally with the directorate like the anarchist, I, I normally keep the three base, you know, because it's like a battle carrier, you know, style, and I only keep the three and use interceptors for that. But it depends if I bring the two frigates with it, and then, you know, gameplay changes, and then we go from there. But again, Adepticon will be the test. Because that's where all teams come together. Yeah, you know that will be interesting. Okay, any more thoughts on SRS? General metas, general changes that have happened? No, as long as we don't talk about the Dirty Terrans, I'm fine with it. Okay, yeah, I'm fine with that too. So, <laughs> so moving on, uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's tear reserves. down my my face. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a teardrop on your eye? Right, right. Uh, someone's just cutting onions here. I don't know what it is. <laughs> so, in terms of reserves, aside from scenario constraints, mm-hmm. what role do reserves generally play in your games, and how are people using them? Are they shunting in, or are they flanking? So let's let's start with uh, with Canada this time. Sure, um, reserves are huge here. Um, I would say that everybody shunts in at some in in some way or another. I think the only people that use the flanking are Dendrenzi and RSM players because they're just trying to set up those cross-kinetic shots. So they just mm-hmm. want to come in on the side and make yeah. it a lot easier for them because they're just going to be min-movement to to maximize that anyway. But uh, yeah, I mean, when I build fleets, uh, I always work in FSD deployment because why why the hell wouldn't you? I mean, there's really no drawback. Like in my, in my experience, and I've shunted probably 100 times, I think there has been once where I genuinely regret the outcome of it. And you're just like, Oh, this was disastrous. So once out of a hundred, hell yeah, I'll take those odds all day. Yeah. So, I mean, out here, it it really does depend on what the fleet is. I mean, within the, when I play my Terrans, I always have a battleship on standby to just FSD behind and really just start punching into those, uh, into those rear arcs. Uh, when I was playing my pathogen, I worked it out so that both of my uh, tier two squadrons, because good lord, are tier two soft at the best of times, and pathogen even more so. Um, you know, they're just FSD deploying because I don't want you to shoot at them, and I want to get in behind you and then use my speed to jump in and get the the boarding assaults that I want. Uh, my Relthosa, I literally run that to the red with the whole like you can't have more than fifty percent. So I think I have like forty eight percent of my points. <laughs> that every game is just in reserve to to FSD deploy in because it's just it's uh it's one of those things where when you stop jousting with your opponent when you stop doing that straight I'm going to deploy you're going to deploy we're going to move in straight lines and maybe the best yep. dice win you put more things into your control and I think that that's what reserves allow you to do and that's why here in Canada like I said everybody does reserves I mean our local Cerulean player that I was telling you about that maxes his tier 3 he takes two bare bones battleships uh, one with his fleet admiral on it and he just uh, shunt deploys both of them he doesn't even care about playing tack cards until his admiral eventually gets on the board uh, that, that was going to be my next question actually reserving uh, reserving admiral ship do people do people do it? You've kind of answered that question there, but is that common, or are people reluctant to do that? Uh, 
here they're they're reluctant, but again, like I don't mind. Uh, like I said our resonance cerulean player doesn't mind. I think it really depends on how it is that you've built your fleet. Uh, whenever I yeah. tend to build my fleets, I don't build it to be reliant upon early game tack cards. You know, I'm not looking for perfect timing. I'm not looking for drives to max things like this. So if you are building your fleet to not need those early game tack cards, then you're not really losing out on anything. Yeah, Very true. Couldn't put it even better than what I can even say. Josh, you want to take it? So how how's it different in, in America? Then? Well, uh, we use shunt deployment quite a bit too, actually. I, especially me as a Rolthosa player, like I agree with uh, Nathan on that one. Like I'm pushing max and usually, you know, keeping 50% for shunting, like my when I use Huntsman heavy cruisers, those are almost always my my like mobile board strike force that I just shunt in. Um, but I, there is a little bit of flank deployment. I know Neil uses a lot of flank deployment with his Terrans, um, mostly with his like missionaries and stuff, his torpedo ships, or well, missionaries and pilgrims when he uses them. But other than that, it's mostly shunt. I think it's it adds a lot of tactical flexibility. Like, I usually use it as a kind of a, you know, the old trap spider, trapdoor spider. Lure the lure people into a good area, spread them out enough so I can land the huntsman kind of in the midst of their fleet and then just open up with the broadsides and, you know, try to have a target in every arc. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot of utility. I mean, and it's it, what I hold in reserve is generally dependent on the fleet. Like, especially if I'm using a lot of Akash in the list. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I freaking shunt all those guys in um my admiral <laughs> however i usually never shunt my admiral in um, yeah i agree i don't that's mostly because i do there are a couple tack cards i usually like to have just in case namely it's like perfect timing because i i'm a little more reliant on stuff coming in at a certain time or want it to come in at a certain time like i'm i'm really hoping that a like a null deployment kind of rothosa commander kind of emerges later Later in the in the mix, because I I play the hell out of that. <laughs> noted, noted. Uh, and Phil, is that the same in your uh, Almost like how Nathan described it initially. Uh, depends on the army. With my Aquins, I will probably do uh, a frigate squad or you know a corvette squad, depending on the opponent, of course. My Dendrenzi, when I normally feel them, are frigates. I will sometimes, you know, do the, not the shunt deploy, but, you know, off to the side. Uh, sometimes, I don't know if it's the curse of the dice or if it's the water here in the area. It normally makes me roll horribly in the shunt, you know, chart. So I normally do a flanking with those two armies. Now, when I play the directorate, it all depends on if I do Omnidyne, I actually use the gunship sometimes in my games with cyber weapons. I'll do a flank deployment. If I go staunch, uh, and not almost 50%, probably just the mediums, you know, gunships, I'll flank deploy with that. The rest are on the board. Uh, the directorate now, even with the latest planetfall with that, you know, heavy carrier, or even with the, um, you know, a couple of the other ships like the directorate, even the, the assault cruisers, I'll uh, shunt in. Now, again... It all depends on my opponent and terrain. Uh, I normally like to do a flank on the other armies, but with Directorate, I'm exclusively, I'll shunt in. I'll probably go up to max and, you know, do my thing, get the most shots, use a planet as cover, and then do a cyber, you know, attack, you know, one-two punch, something like that, get my fighters out. Or, you know, it's just, yeah. it all depends on the mission, of course. Uh, I never do the Admiral. I have not tried it, because just like how Josh said, I'm sometimes tack-dependent. 
which I got to get away from that. I got to wean off it. But yeah, it normally depends on A, scenario, B, opponent, and then C, the army I have. Yeah. So so is that something that's changed with shunt deployment or has shunt deployment always been something to people used to, to flank? Or? I've always done it. My local players have not, but I like to think outside the box. Normally, like I am a referencing Adepticon. It showed me how a lot of people do their thing. And that, you know, sometimes I'm not alone thinking that way. But it all comes off lists. Like, again, I change my list almost every time just to try new yeah. things. But sometimes when the waters do get stale, I'll try, you know, uh, uh, flanking or not. But it really does come down to the mission. Yeah. It's interesting, actually, because here I still... Uh, and what do you say about refereeing? I only stood in for a couple of games at the, the Warfare tournament. I was kind of umpiring for the rest of it. And it's really interesting to see a whole bunch of games with people who have never met playing each other, trying different things out. You know, these clashing of different forces. And some of them are just very reserved in, in themselves, rather than actually playing reserves. Not a lot of shunt deployment here. Uh, it's mostly flanking. I think people have a... I would say over-exaggerated fear of the shunt deployment table. Because if you actually look at it... I think it's all those years of 40k, my man. And that deep striking chart, you know? I'm going to probably say, and maybe hopefully the other guys agree, I hated deep striking in 40k. Yeah, it could be. (laughs) Deep striking. Yeah, which never worked, did it? Right. (laughs) But, But with Firestorm, it's like, as long as you're six inches away from anything, nothing really that bad can happen. And I think uh, both Lang and Nathan have mentioned this before as well. You know, it, it's a couple of hazard markers, you know. It's like, well, that's not too bad. Well, yeah, when, when you look at the that table in particular, the absolute worst outcome is Snake Eyes, where you can't activate your unit. Uh, because even then when you're... Pos- hmm? Oh, yeah, I've had that. That's that's the one. That's the one, though, where you're just like, God damn it. Like, this this was going to be such a, such a good move. I was going to pounce. It was going to be great. Because I, you know, I want initiative. They're going to be my first activation. We're going to get that boarding action. Now you're just like shit. Um, <laughs> I've had the one the, where uh, you d six, and I've come damn near off the board on a couple of things, you know, items or planet. Where'd that planet come from? You know, yeah. when it's a d six, I roll a six, and I'm six inches away from the, you know, the terrain or six and a half. But I saw plenty of people at the tournament who were flanking and failed their command check, and you know, then. Their opponent places them in the worst possible places they always are going to, you know. So they have to fly through an asteroid field immediately, you know, which is which is much worse. So it's interesting that people think, or kind of have this idea that shunting is risky, but right. flanking is easy, you know, and more dependable. When actually, when you look at it sort of dispassionately, it doesn't seem to pan out that way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in in my experience, I, I would say that... 75 to 80% of all shunt deployments have been without incident. And it's either because whenever I take a hazard marker or I get seamless arrival, because 5 to 9 for seamless arrival is just, it is such a wide margin of just good news possibilities here. So it's just like, you know, you're covering a good majority of your dice outcomes is nothing at all. So it's just like, yeah, it's great, but passing a command check, good lord. (laughs) That is is my kryptonite in this game. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so the last uh, the last kind of general theme I want to touch on here is is fold space escape. Wish it was faster, like those uh, damn mercenary cards that they have. Yeah, bug out, boom, love it. <laughs> well, yeah, I use it. So, fold space escapes. Do people use them? Do you see people use them? Do you see people try and use it too late? Now, I mean, if I just kick off in the UK, what I've seen. People don't use it. People, when people try and use it, 
their ship is is basically knackered. Um, you know, I have one hull like point left. Two, Let's do two this. Two hull points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's going to take me at least a turn if I time it well, you know, at the end of this turn, and then put it on the next turn, during which the entire opposite fleet is going to shoot me, you know, if I'm worth mm-hmm. dealing with, which usually it is because that's why you're bugging out. But, yeah, I just don't see people using it. I mean, I even remarked to one guy who was playing in the tournament, because he was like, oh, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do now. He was about, I think it was six up in Battle Lock, and I just said, just fold space everything out. <laughs> it's like, you've won. It's like, you fold space out now, there is nothing he can do. And he's just like, oh, I'm going to keep playing. And it's like, your choice. <laughs> I have you now. <laughs> I think people just don't see it as gentlemanly. Yeah. <laughs> I think in tournaments, people get a little, little like, is it that easy? Can I just do that? <laughs> yeah. I will fold space, and I, I don't know if uh, it's been wise sometimes to fold space like in that one, uh, like right into an asteroid field, or I'll go right into a gas cloud, you know, or just prime it and like, okay. Or I have done the, the sneaky get, being directorate, and fake a shunt. Oh, we're getting out. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, look at me. Got the objective. Now I'll leave, you know, and then that's next turn or something like that. But that is very <laughs> situational. But yeah, I use it all the time. I, find, I, I should find use it more. <laughs> I, I think everyone feels like they should use it more. Um, I feel like Fold Space Escape is kind of one of those things that, that separates the real Firestorm Armada veterans, the people that, that understand the game, from those that, that really don't. Because, yeah, I mean, at Fold Space Escape, you can you can guarantee yourself a win. You can mitigate a loss. Like, I, I have been being just fucking run over. And I've just been like, I Fold Space everything, and now he's struggling to get out of draw territory. You know, he's just trying to finish things right. off and and get you know get enough points that he gets the win instead of a draw. Um, and even even beyond that, I find that I can dictate what he's going to shoot with a smart fold space fold space bait, right? Where you're just like, right. listen, this cruiser squad's in a shit position. It's not going to accomplish anything, so I'm going to activate them first, put the fold space on because it's going to take heat off my battleship. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. there are so many different ways to use it, and that's why, like I said, I find that the the people People that play the game a ton, they're the ones that are going to be more willing to use this mechanic um, because those that don't, they get in this this other war game mentality. And, and I know it's easy to just say it's a 40k mentality, but that whole, you know, fight to the last man table my opponent it's the only thing that i can do i mean i remember once i had a squadron of terran cruisers hiding behind a planet lobbing nuclear torpedoes and uh my opponent fold space deployed got three uh Ralfosa heavy cruisers right behind them Ooh. and I, I had not taken a point of damage and i just i'm like i'm fold space escaping them and I'm, he's like <laughs> Why? And he was like, why? They haven't been shot. And I'm just like, because you have three Rothosa heavy cruisers behind me, and Terran cruisers are paper mache at the best of times. <laughs> they did not get off the board, because Rothosa heavy cruisers. They did not but... go to the Christmas party? Yeah. yeah. That's a... <laughs> but, you know, like that's, that's the thing where it's just like, you have to understand when you're outclassed, when you're outmatched, or even when you're out of position. Like, if you have a slow-ish moving squad that will never be able to get back into an optimal position, but, you know, they're, two, you know, you started as three, they're down to two ships, one of them's really banged up, shunt them off so you're not giving up points. Don't give your opponent that long yeah. bomb torpedo shot that you know he's going to be taking turn after turn after turn while you are struggling to get them into a position to be worthwhile and i think that that's that's the thing with fold space escape so it's just like out here there's a couple players that do it really well 
but again, like a lot of people play Firestorm as their second or third or fourth game, and they're not comfortable doing it yet. You know, nothing sells FTL when you drop a mine to help you out. Because <laughs> I've done that with the uh, the gunships for Directorate. Where I'll shunt in, do round, two round, shunt, and then go. And that that's their mission. Like, And then I'll drop a mine or, you know, two rounds of mine. Or a round of mine, excuse me. I would say, we, uh, Neil, the one person that is really adept, actually there's a couple guys, well, two or three guys in our group that are really adept. Um, Neil has yet to lose, like, he's only lost his Razor Thorn, his infamous commander, maybe two or three times, like, in all the games he's played. Just for the sheer fact that as soon as he knows that ship is going to get, you know, utterly annihilated, usually when he plays me, um, <laughs> he always hides it in a gas cloud. <laughs> oh no it's we have the riot whenever i play him with my rsn like that's my that's he knows that's the best way to bait me is to throw that freaking battleship out into something and for whatever reason i'm dumb and always fall for it <laughs> now he's baited yeah right yeah i think in the uk we have this genetic um rourke's drift position where it doesn't matter what the odds are we we have to keep fighting to the bitter end I think Brian is from the UK because he's like that too. My one of my co-chairs, God, I'm like you get your men out of there. Nope, I'm like it's gonna hurt me more. It's gonna hurt you mentally. But there's 22 of us and 20,000 of them, but there's still a chance. <laughs> Go for the exhaust port. <laughs> okay, okay. So some similarities, some differences overall. There. Um, now I want to just move on to the, the different races and just see how they're played in different zones because uh, I see some differences between players. I just want to see if there's a bit of a, a larger regional variation here. So I think first of all, because we've been talking about SRS earlier, and we've mentioned them a couple of times, Aquins and Rolthosa are having the greatest access to SRS are probably a good place to start. Perhaps we start with the Rolthosa, seeing as that uh, I think Josh is a Rolthosa player. Oh yeah. And, yeah, let, let's start with that. So how do how do Relthosa tend to get played of your way? Are there some auto takes? I've seen the Apex um being taken an awful lot in, you know, above patrol fleet games here. Uh, are there similar units for yourselves? Well, it's I know there's uh, there's probably three or four spiders here in Michigan and I know we all play a little differently and it's kinda neat to see. Um I like auto take for me is I always take huntsmen. Heavy cruisers. They are like in every last one of my lists. In fact, even in patrol fleets, they're usually my tier one. And then I, I always take scarabs yeah. because I love the model so much as well. <laughs> they are sweet. I mean, I'm not. A, that's the thing. Like, I'm not a fan of shunt cruisers at all. Like shunt matrix, uh, I'm not a big fan of because of it. Since it's each individual model and not the whole squadron, like it's too much unpredictability for me. And I've just had bad luck. Uh, Eight-inch command distance, though, you know? Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is with an eight-inch command distance, who cares? <laughs> Live a little. <laughs> Try new uh, things! Whereas, I know one of the other players uh, up in Grand Rapids, Mike, he does use shunt cruisers a lot. And he does a lot of shunting, he uses carriers a lot. Um, I tend, like in bigger games, I, I'll take an Apex, usually. And I'm like a like uh, as a single tier one, and I'll go like tier two heavy with cruisers and heavy cruisers and destroyers, and then I'm like, do you play them? Do you play them SRS heavy? 
focus well. Both those have great access to it. I do. I actually, I usually go fairly heavy in SRS, but I, it, like, I have a real broad spectrum of SRS in my list. Like, uh, uh-huh. you know, it's a lot of interceptors, bombers, support shuttles, assault boats. Like, I have it in, like, sometimes I have, if the game's big enough, I'll have an entire squadron of Nidus is just relegated to, like, support duty carrying support shuttles. <laughs> Depending on the game. But yeah, I'll run a lot of SRS when I run my list. Smaller games, uh, especially when I'm running Huntsman as my tier one, uh, it actually goes like the opposite direction. It'll go really light on SRS. Like, it'll be almost non-existent. It'll more or less be like on the Nidus's. And at that point, I'm using them with bombers usually uh, just to hit the... uh, you know, do like a one-two punch. You know, the cruisers are going and engage a larger ship, and then the Nidus's will go in with their weaponry and do bombing runs on it just to either finish it off or, you know, soften it up even more. Um, but we have uh, two players in this area. I know Mike, uh, or Ryan, excuse me, He uh, he's learning to play Firestorm for me, so he kind of plays his real foes like I do, but he's been exploring a lot with them. Um, so you're creating your own meta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that counts. <laughs> How about you, Nathan? Are you seeing Relthazer a lot in Canada? Um, yeah, I mean, well, not really. I mean, <laughs> there's there's me and another guy, and we both kind of play our Relthazer very, very differently. Um, one of us, basically, uh, I, I love the boarding actions for them. I think that Relthazer are an incredible boarding fleet. So for me, the apex is an auto include in every fleet. Actually apex is an auto include for both of us because it's just one of the finest dreadnoughts in the game. And you know, you just can't go oh, wrong. Gosh. Yeah. Cause you know, fucking cloaking system, cloaking with stealth systems. Um, it's just so survivable out, you know, in the, in the early games, nothing long bomb is ever going to scratch the paint. And it just, it's, it's such an incredible ship. So, um, my boarding shenanigans typically revolve around my Apex and the uh, FSD network, like calculators networked card to uh, bring in a couple of battle carriers because uh, no one ever sees that coming when out of nowhere an 18 AP boarding assault just shunts in in the secondary movement phase. Okay, <laughs> but uh, super fun. I love I love how sneaky uh, Relthosa can be. So I end up kind of doing that. Like Josh, heavy cruisers are in every Relthosa list played in Alberta because they're just so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, again, probably the best heavy cruisers in the game as well. So it's just like you know, there's just so many incredible choices for Relthosa. But the other player actually doesn't take SRS heavy either. Uh, because he goes for a torpedo and corrosive fleet, so he just likes to sit back with his cloak and stealth systems and lob just relentless amounts of torpedoes at you, daring you to bridge that gap, which you have to because with cloak and stealth systems on basically everything, you're doing no damage until you get within 20, and then he can still finish up with boarding actions and with uh, straight guns and things like that, so... Um, very different play styles for both of us. For me, the Ralthos, I've only used it in version one for Firestorm. And at that time, I, you know, they had the independent tokens, but I really haven't used or they've been dry docked for a while. Actually, I tried to sell them to Josh, but I think he spent all his beer money. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, so what about Aquans? So Aquans are very different in the type of fleet they are, but again, 
able to bring a lot of SRS to the table. Do you see that, or do you see the Akrons have a lot of options? So I'm interested to see if there are commonalities or if there's a you know big broad range of what people do. Let's say the Aquians I've seen mostly have been Larry, Shoal Commander Larry, playing. Um, and he actually goes pretty light on the SRS. Like, he'll usually take a token of bombers off the battle carrier, and that's about it. Um, he generally plays... Like, he'll go for trying to maximize the amount of activations in his fleet. So a lot of his ships tend to be a little more bare-bones, uh, just because he's going for... Uh, hitting power with trying to and then trying to out activate you basically okay. so he tends to play a little light um one of the local aquian guys here goes more on the heavy side um i think that's because he started out with like the overseer's box so he had the heavy carrier uh, mm-hmm. which he started playing as a battle carrier he goes with bombers usually bombers and then some interceptors and then i see like the support shuttles on some of the other vessels they have the smaller complements you know the one thing i i I wish like with the aquans because i know the opponent jay uh is an aquan player that i play around the erie area and he does you know the typical tier tier ones you know either the battle carrier uh he is or the dreadnought you know and he just you know keeps it at at is uh the one thing i wish the aquans had to you know keep that good thing going is maybe incorporate it in their mediums a little bit not just distinctive you know in their tier ones but seeing some in tier two that's interesting because we see uh, an awful lot of dt cruisers you know isonades with difficult target energy transfer boom squadrons of four they're expensive but right it's like a nutcracker yeah and um oscar plays heavy cruisers a lot which are very expensive but my god if you get them right they're uh, the amount of damage output they can put through is is horrific and they're a very very tough squadron as a whole to erode right especially when you've been playing them continuously for years so he has uh <laughs> now here's a question i mean like what's up my, my list will vary with an aquam list either lots of fighters or half but have you found it that sometimes it may not slow the game down but will make you think more and make you like how should i say it more difficult to make decisions depending on what's in front of you or who you're playing. Like if you have too many fighter tokens or, you know, stuff like that. Have you guys ever run into that? Because sometimes, you know, uh, do I want to go into a, you know, a fighter combat, you know, dog fight or uh, why even activate these, you know, bombers when the PD defense is heavy or the interceptors, you know, it almost cancels out because I noticed with, uh, when I was playing Brian, he would throw in like a, a hybrid here and there of a different list and he would just have interceptors to almost ground my game of bombers you know i haven't i know i didn't use assault shells yet the assault craft yet but it was like oh well he's negating my bomber runs have you ever seen like that counter yeah to the game? I've, I've, I've seen that i mean mostly it's been like when uh you know, we're we know the pinch and we're just playing like casual at the store or something. But like you can't you can't necessarily like in a tournament format, like when you're building lists like for tournaments, I think it's it's not something you're necessarily gonna run into because it's it's not a consistent like it's a counter for some lists, but it's it, like again, it's like almost wasted points of like if someone didn't bring SRS. So I think like, yeah, because that's has... like thirty points plus, you know, thirty thirty five. Yeah. You know, if you go twelve, you know, it's like holy cow. Oh yeah, it, it, it's it's a ton <laughs> of points that that's really just kind of list building. However, can I say that 
my idea of like the circle of hell is the Aquan on Aquan like game right. because you know it's after weird. seven hours you have finished turn three and it's just like for the love of god because it's just like you're dropping mines and you're activating this srs and you're activating that srs and now i'm so shooting in all four arcs and i'm torpedo and you're just like i hate this like it was the least fun i've ever had is when i had the near mirror match of we both had three tier ones he went dreadnought battle carrier carrier and i had battle carrier battleship carrier and we're just like this is gonna take forever to play <laughs> it was a draw because when the, after the three and a half hour time limit we hadn't finished turn two so you missed the opportunity <laughs> nathan on turn one when you saw an aquan opponent you should have just been well let's full space out <laughs> call it a draw it'll be a draw anyway let's just yeah, call it now and go drinking yeah. <laughs> okay. that's when you're playing the battle log and then you just see yeah, all right <laughs> Okay, so I'll turn to the uh, the most vanilla of, uh, of fleets in terms of play style, um, which is probably the Dendrenzi and the Cerulians. So, um, oh, so I'm sur- I thought you were going to take a shot at me and say Terrans, but all right. No, 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 not up it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, let's start with the Dendrenzi, the big uh, the big point and point this end enemy, and, uh, and that's it, kind of uh, play style. And hope for the best. Yeah. Right. Now, honestly, I've only used a couple with my uh, new battleship that was in the box set. My god, the name is now escaping me. Praetorian. Praetorian. Thank you. Uh, but I've also used them in the battle station. Okay. So I, I don't like the carrier just due to the speed. Now, the new new kid on the block, you know, with that new assault carrier from Planetfall. The Legion. Right, is... She's in dry dock. She's not painted yet, but I, I would like to use it. But again, I just don't know how well it is, you know, with it. Because I know Dendrenzi don't normally have a lot of fighter support. And again, I'll use that battle station for demo games because I like to try and field one at Adepticon if I took Dendrenzi. But I just don't want to. I just don't want to, you know, <laughs> in, in that sense. But uh, yeah, other than that, I actually played the Legion recently. It was in the stand-in uh, for a player who had to go at the tournament. So I just threw together a quick list. And uh, because it was only a couple of games, I had no... Yeah, you know, I could just do what I wanted and right. have fun. So I, I played the Legion with uh, six assault shuttles and an interceptor. Maxed up the AP. And she's yeah, just drove her at the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> and ton of fun. Again, uh, real quickly, the, the Drenzi in my area are like... You know, we're playing historical where they're just... They stop... Yeah. And that's it. I'm like, well, come at me, bro, or good luck, you know. But again, I, I digress. I say the Legion, that, that loadout on the Legion, Alex, sounds like the first time George used it, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you shunt that bad girl in, or do you flank it? He shunted it in, and that thing freaking wrecked face when it came in. Uh, I just drove, I just had it on the board uh, with my Admiral on and drove it straight forward. This is only a patrol fleet. Mm-hmm. And then I shunted in two Castras, hmm. fully loaded up as well. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Uh, I think what it did, like you say, the traditional way to play Dindrenzi, certainly here, uh, is the very much, you know, you put everything on that you're going to put on and you move it very slowly forward, <laughs> firing as you go. And then you shunt in some Sigian Corvettes, um, at the end, when they can go hunting round uh, round the exhaust ports, <laughs> and I think some of the the more recent ships, you know, uh, 
I go back to the gunships when they first came out. It allowed the Dendrenti to do gen something. First-gen gunships, where they were yeah. scary? Yeah, where they, you know, it allowed you to do something that you couldn't do previously. Yeah, so I think there's a few more things coming up now. But the meta here, certainly in the past with Dendrenti, has been pretty straightforward because they are pretty straightforward when you just first look at them. Um, I think you need to go into them a little bit more for a bit more nuance. I was going to say, we, like, I know, because George, George is our Dendrenti master, and... I know he was in the was it a 2014 Warlog. He was the number one Dendrenzi player. So, but I know George usually has like a smattering of interceptors and then support shuttles in his fleet. But other than that, you know, not a whole lot of SRS. You know, once in a blue moon, he runs a carrier with bombers on it. But he always goes for the the cruise dozer, as he calls it, cramming as many cruisers in as he possibly can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't Lang run Dendrenzi, Nathan? Sort of. I mean, Lang and I both. I, okay, so Dendrenzi... Oh, I, I wasn't sure if you did. Yeah, di- basically, Dendrenzi up here are the punching bag. Everyone has them, everyone takes them to one event, finishes le- dead last, and then swears <laughs> off of them. It's gotta be about um, the terrain. The, sorry, what? It's, it has to be the because of the terrain. What, with our big <laughs> open shooting lanes? No, it's just the biggest problem with, with Dendrenzi is that fundamentally they are so easy to counter. Yeah. Don't give don't give them straight lines. Use the uh, FSD, like shunt in some stuff behind them, and they're flying bricks. They can literally never come about to to pull their firepower on you. Right. Um, you know, and it's just like that's that's the thing. So it's just like there are a lot of Dendrenzi players and there is always the one at a tournament and he always finishes dead last. And it's always different because just like they'll finish dead last and then they'll paint up their second fleet and they'll have fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay. As I always say with Dendrenzi, she's got a big ass, I gotta try and turn it. So no. <laughs> it's like the shopping cart with the one wheel. That yep. won't, won't do it and just <laughs> trying just yeah. around. Yeah. <laughs> that must be the gun rack stuck or something like that. <laughs> okay, and what about the Ceruleans then? Because the Ceruleans come in for a lot of heat here. What's well, cold and eerie, so we don't play them. <laughs> <laughs> they just won't work. But interestingly, at, at the tournament, uh, there were three Cerulean fleets, which really surprised me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they did very well. Uh, they were placed not dead last. Uh, I think one of them was third. Yeah, yeah. I think one was third, and the others came in the mid mid table as well. So a bit of a resurgent for the lizards, right? I mean, I I like Cerulean's. I mean, like uh, I know they have a bad rep because there's really, I mean, other than scatter, there's really nothing special about them. But I what I find about Cerulean's is that if if you have a good player who knows the list inside and out and kind of builds it correctly, Cerulean's are the jack of all trades. You know, they're not the, going to be the best shooting or the best assault or the, you know, the long range fleet or the best short range fleet. But the fact that they can do everything in the game of Firestorm Armada means that if you have a canny enough Cerulean player, they're able to play where you're weak. Right. You know, yeah. and, and that's and that's their biggest strength is just like almost a vanilla marine. Yeah, it really know, so. it, it is. If we're gonna talk about forty K equivalent, I find that the Ceruleans are the closest to just your your basic space marine army in that because they do everything, as long as you're building your fleet correctly. Because I mean if you build all boarding actions, which you can do with your Ceruleans, there are gonna be fleets that undress you because they, they're better at boarding. You know, likewise right. if you try to go long range you're going to get undressed because there are going to be people that are better than you at it. But when you have a little bit of everything, you always have the right tool in your toolbox. Um, 
and I think, you know, and that's the thing is like, I've always been interested in Cerulean and they've always been like that, you know, oh, they're totally the next fleet I'm going to paint. And that's been for like the last five fleets I painted. So, uh, <laughs> Cerulean I think they will always be they, they, uh, forever a bridesmaid, never a bride for me. But, uh, <laughs> Like I said, I like them. Yeah, expanding on what you're saying, Nathan, they have a lot of utility. And it, it, like in list building and just flexibility on the battlefield because of their vanilla-ness. I know our local lizard, he's like tenacious. He's always like usually in like the top three of tournaments. And like he has some common lists, but there's a lot of variation in his lists and they're very adaptable and just really tenacious on the on the battlefield. Like, I always just, just when you think you've got them, like, on the ropes, like, yeah. they just cling to life. And it's just, like, you know, it, it probably is a lot to do with, like, uh, Matt's uh, skill as a player. But it's, you know, and that goes back to the whole, once you know your fleet in and out, you know, it's really effective. Yeah. Right. We're getting into uh, about 70, 70 minutes or so. So um, we'll move now on to the Terrans. I know, Nathan, you've been chomping at the bit to talk about Terrans. So what's the local meta for Terrans in Terrans Canada? Terrans are my baby. The local meta is like me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know what it is. What's so interesting is when uh, when second, second edition first launched, or yeah. second edition for your nomenclature, <laughs> um, Terrans were the fleet that really just kind of attracted me. I liked the look of everything in the starter set. I liked uh, the way they play, kind of being the bricks, and uh, and yeah, I've always just kind of since then have played the played the hell out of them. For me, what I tend to do, like I said, being our being our local Terran meta, because <laughs> there are a couple <laughs> of other people that dabble, but like they don't go to tournaments. They'll only ever play like the odd casual game. So it's just like it's hard to really say what they're doing because they're more of a this ship looks nice. You're like, hey, can't fault you, you know. Tier 1 and Tier 3 is kind of where I feel like Terrans live, you know, because their Tier 1s are the toughest ships in the game to try to try to take out. I mean, uh, when I feel like just fielding a brick, which I did at uh, one of my Adepticon lists last year, Dreadnought Max Shielded with three escorts can basically deflect everything. <laughs> everything coming yeah. at it. It's just like, I don't give a shit. You got torpedoes, you got boarding actions, you got SRS. Uh, just come at it come you know there's nothing that it can't take and and that's what i kind of always liked about building my terrans is i typically skew uh you know one big tier one to just put in the center of the board and fly up because the thing with terrans is they have that one because they're all their tier one live off that turret you have one arc that you're just going to hit hard so it's just like i put it in the middle of the fleet because i want you to put your strongest thing to counter and pull shots on it because i know i can take it I'm going to blitz up because weapon shielding. Gotta love it. (laughs) You know, as fast as I can, I'm going to pull up beside you and I'm just going to hit you as hard as possible. Meanwhile, I've got the tier three supports because I think missionary frigates are incredible. I mean, when you can throw tier one levels of dice on a really small tier three squadron that's costing you 100 points, you know, you're loving life. So it's just like I always have that one strong centerpiece, whether it's a battleship or a dreadnought, depending on the game lots of frigate support fly it up the middle of the board and then i always have that battleship that i like to shunt in behind because again it's really good at that one arc game um you know or you flip the opposite when you're feeling like it and you just put nuclear on everything 
and you laugh and you laugh and you laugh. <laughs> it's not effective. Don't get me wrong. That's probably the least effective Terran list I play. But dear God, is it fun. Uh, actually, dirty, dirty Terrans. Actually, at Adepticon, what was funny at Adepticon is uh, game one, I was playing against Hawker. I nuked one of his cruisers. The explosion critted the cruiser beside it, which snake-eyed, magazined, and went back and critted the original target, which blew it up, <laughs> which then magazined as well out and hit his third one on one shot. And I was like, this is the most satisfying thing that I've ever done. I feel guilty. Like, my God, I, can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe I took out an entire squad of, of cruisers on one nuclear shot, but oh, I need a cigarette. It was so good. <laughs> it's a good yeah, view as it was for me. Is that what you said? <laughs> I saw, I saw like seven Dendrenzi cruisers disappear to a chain reaction like that in one game. <laughs> With Neil's Terrans, a nuke, lucky nuke going off, and just, just George was having a bad day. <laughs> I got nothing on Terrans. I sold mine to a guy who won the start, and then he moved. Game over. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I do know I hate missionaries with the fiery passion of a thousand suns, because Neil no short range, up... right? Missionaries. Oh, which ones am I thinking? No, I don't know which ones you're thinking. Pilgrim, with the turrets, so yeah, they are they are eight sixteen like your normal. Oh yeah, they're little, little bands, short range. but four five one shield, uh, usually hitting on a three plus because of your shield cruisers that are that are back there su- supporting mm-hmm. you make them mm-hmm. tough little bastards that always get to where you need them to be, even if you're putting yeah. them in the middle. Yeah, I, that's. I think that's the one thing that annoys the, this, the ever living piss out of me is freaking how resilient they are, especially when they have the shield cruisers. And it's, uh, and it, you know, as most Terran players that I know of around here, worth their salt, that's basically their only tier two choice is the freaking shield cruisers, basically bolstering the rest There's of the fleet. And, and shunt entry destroyers, thanks to the fact that I can enter at with a full stop token, so you just put them behind again, and that's. I love shunt entry. It's just my thing. <laughs> oh yeah, That's destroyers. What I do. <laughs> oh, yeah, shield cruisers and destroyers, and then usually double battleship. Yeah, and then lots of tier threes. I don't know it's and I know yeah. Neil. Neil is a big fan of his nukes, though. I'm getting a nuclear burn talking about these damn things. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, let's let's move let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> I think we see we see very similar with the Terrans, uh, right. tier one, tier three. Um, you know, because they are like. Like Nathan said, they are tanks, whereas the the standard cruisers are are paper mache. Mm-hmm. The heavy cruisers are, are even worse um, in terms of durability. Uh, good to shunt bombs, but um, I don't see many Terrans doing that. Destroyers are pretty heavy. See quite a lot of those, but uh, yeah, very similar kind of uh, tactics. So, so last but uh, definitely not least is the Directorate, who I expect won't have a unified meta in most places because purely because they've just got so many tools available to them. But I'm interested to see. So I play them. I'm a cyber guy. I love cyber, probably because I'm in IT. <laughs> I know what it can do to the real world, but again, sometimes I fall short. I get that one roll, that I roll a one. But sometimes it's game on. Like Adepticon was game on. And I love my drones when I do that. But again, as Alex said, uh, I have a different list almost every time, but except for my tier threes, which is normally one drone squad, and then I max out the the other two, you know, with frigates, and that's it. But then everything else is a different recipe. It's like Mama's pasta sauce, you know. It's laid mm. down, but me, I put a little touch in it every different, you know. There's a different time. 
It's never the same. Uh, I've got a feeling we're not going to hear the same with uh, with Canada, right? Well, well, I was going to say where we play, Lang is the only directorate player. Um, you know, they never really kind of caught on. I know that uh, again, they're kind of the second or third fleet for a few people, but uh, uh, Lang is corporate through and through. For him, the only the only fixture are his heavy cruisers. His directorate heavy cruisers takes a full squadron of three because yep, uh, with the yeah they're absolutely tanks. They they've got great AP, great firepower. Cloak makes them survivable. You can cloak them and shunt them out. Like it's just uh, they are versatile in terms of tier one. I've seen them run everything from a single carrier to you know dreadnought battleships. Um, and yeah, I think you know he is the exact opposite of you, though he he hates cyber warfare with a fiery, fiery passion because every single actually I won't say every single time about seventy percent of the timeline will just roll a hazard marker, <laughs> which he just feels is is just nothing but wasted potential. So he'd rather have more shots or more boarding or more torpedoes or or more anything that is just reliable. Um, because that's the thing with cyber warfare, right? Is you are trading the reliability for the potential. Yeah. You know, when cyber warfare works, it hold it it fucking works, and it can win yeah. you a game. Right. When I use cyber warfare doesn't mainly... work, it's wasted points. Yeah, I use the drones mainly to take out other tier threes, and I just kill the crew. You know, in that way, because it's almost simple. And plus, you know, they go up to tier you know range four, and I'm going behind buildings. Excuse me, planets. Sorry, there's a building in front of me, uh, and that's how I normally use those. But yeah, every now and then it's cyber for me. Even I uh, throw in some omnidyne, it's all cyber warfare for me. I'll say our directorate guys, I have a director guy here in Battle Creek. And then, of course, Dave, who won Adepticon last year, lives in Lansing and plays at Evo with us. And like he's a director player, but he won with like Works Raptor, Corsair, Brigands, and Bakash last year. So it's, I know he's a real fan of cyber warfare like Phil is. And he does, he likes boarding and decrewing stuff. Yeah. So it's usually using the cyber warfare to turn off point defense so he can go in and make the boarding actions more effective, you know, even though he's like whittled your crew down to like, you know, Ensign Ricky sitting there right. holding a wrench trying to keep things together. <laughs> Why are the airlocks opening? <laughs> you know. But yeah, it's like it's all over the place for directorate. Yeah. But yeah. Cause we see I mean, I know I've seen this quite a bit with the heavy cruisers. You know, it I would say the this probably doesn't translate for North America, but they're a Marmite faction, uh, is what, how we describe them here. Do you have Marmite or Vegemite or anything like that in in the US and Canada? No, but no. I know what you're talking about. No. Yeah. Okay. It's like a brown yeah. yeast extract, which we have on toast or stuff, which sounds disgusting, and some people think it is disgusting. Um, other people think it's nice. And it, it is that. You don't get people who kind of think... Well, I can take it or leave it. It is really that now I hate it or I love it. Um, and the, I feel the directorate, things like the heavy cruisers, things like cyber warfare tend to fall into that category. People are either like, God, yeah, I'd never use that or yeah, I always take them. Um, I've never taken a full squadron of heavy cruisers. I did once at Adepticon. Worked out good. You know, I play directorate a lot. I guess it's where you see the utility in the points. You know, where are you looking at? Because I see exactly what Lang's talking about with the drones in the heavy cruisers. It's like the potential. It's like, well, if I'm cloaking, I'm not throwing out those dice. So until I get them into a range where they're doing something, I've wasted a lot of points on those. 
you know, and if I'm shunting them in, they're not doing something for a couple of rounds. So I would rather have that in something that's doing something from turn one, you know, or turn two. But again, you know, if I want to play it a little different way, there's plenty of other ways for me to do it. So even I don't have a meta, I guess. <laughs> um, right, because I've never seen the same directorate list. Yeah, yeah. Even added up to con to when I talked to other people. I think that's why people have Josh, I never hear the same one. Yeah, I think that's why people have such a hard time dealing with the record is because it's like you never, you know, they all have some similar tricks and shticks, but like I swear I've I've yet to really face directorate like the same exact list between two people ever. Like it's it's you know some fleets and factions you can like see almost like copy print lists, but yeah, they're still all over the place that it's it's always a unique experience. Yeah. I know everybody criticized me when I used the judgment. God, <laughs> I still have one of my best results ever from a game in a judgment on the very final action of rolling its six torpedoes at an Oannes, um carrier, which was forty-seven and a half inches away, uh, fleeing the battlefield and destroying it with those six dice. It's just, just <laughs> bliss, bliss. And I think on that note, as it's a high for me, um, <laughs> and we're getting to the coming up to an hour and uh, and twenty minutes or so, um, I think we'll leave the alliances for another time. Absolutely, I will extend my thanks to my co-hosts for for this episode. Thank you all for coming on. I know it's variable times; it's a difficult time of the year, short notice. So, thank you all for your time. My pleasure. For all of those of you listening to the episode, uh, just remains for us to wish you a very happy and peaceful holiday season. So signing off from the Hub Systems, it's Phil. Good night, everybody. Josh. Good night, everybody. Nathan. Cheers. Alex. And uh, in his bed, Oscar. Uh, We'll see you next time.